0: This is Radio Influence. You know her from Network Radio, but now she's on the net and in your head. This is the Fabulous Sports Bit on Radio Influence. Hey, it's me. It's the Babe Cast. It's happening right here. I wanted to call it something else. I forgot what it was. I forgot what it was. It was probably very interesting a week ago, but I don't remember. I was gonna call the Babe cast something else. Hmm, I guess we'll just go on and go, hey, it's the Babe Cast because I don't remember what it was supposed to be. But anyway, listen, I watched the Masters. There was every stinking day I was there watching it. And, you know, you get this thing in the golf thing. Has anyone seen the golf thing, which they they talk about, but they're not allowed to tell you anything. And then you have to go to ESPN and watch it over there. And then at one point, I I, I don't know, it was very confusing with all those, but ended up going to the right channel at the right time on CBS. But you know what? I did watch the Masters and I watched a lot of it. And I thought it was interesting that Patrick Reed would have it in the second and the third and the fourth. And he walked away for the Masters championship. And here's the thing that I kind of knew a little bit about, which is that Patrick Reed, is that his name? Patrick Reed is the guy. But they I guess they asked the people on the golf tour and they said that Bubba Watson and Patrick Reed are the people that they hate the most. And I said, oh, well, I'm right up there. I'm going to like that. And so they hate them the most. And I guess that Patrick Reed did some stuff like they talked about when he was at Georgia. Now, I don't want to say anything, but he didn't come out of Georgia last week. And they're saying, well, he cheated and he did all of that. And I said, I don't even know what that means. You know, and because they're acting like it got done. And I thought, how does this even get done? But anyway, so that's what took place. And. I thought it was interesting that everybody thought they really disliked him. And when you talk to people on the tour and people around him, they have all these things that he did. What was he in school like seven, eight years ago? And they're all worried about Georgia or something. And then they said they put him right next to, <laughs> to Bubba. And I thought, well, of course. They said Bubba sucks too. I thought, well, this is kind of interesting. And they're, well, he did this and he did that. Oh, stop it. He did this and that's it. And I think they're pissed off because. He wanted, I mean, he did it in the second round. He did it in the third round. He did it in the fourth round. There was nothing they could do. And if you wanted to catch up there and do 11 million under, you know, to get under the, but it didn't matter because he was always a little bit ahead of you, which is all that mattered for me. Uh, You know, I have some things to talk about since I'm thinking about the Masters. You know, I was thinking about Matt Kuchar. Matt Kuchar a guy that I knew when he must have been 20 years old, 21 years old, something like that. And um, he had gotten into the Masters, and it was 1998. And I talked to him. He was an amateur. And his father was the caddy for the Masters. And it was really great, and he did extremely well. And I was really, so now when I see him, he's got all those kids, and his wife and his head is bald and all that. I never got bald. Did you get bald? I never got bald. Did you? I didn't ever get bald. Jerry's very bald, but I am not bald at all. But anyway, so there he is when he takes his hat off and he has no hair up there and he's got these little kids and all this stuff. And I thought, good for you. And you know, his father is still around. And I thought that was, I mean, still around. You know what I mean by that? I was glad that he was still around. But I remember talking to him. He had gone to Georgia Tech and he went to the, he went to the Masters, the, the father was the caddy and he had a really good, I mean, he probably won the amateur thing or whatever it was in that thing. And he was really good in that. And one of the things that I thought about was that I kind of liked watching him. And then after a while, you know how you don't see people for a while because they're working. They're like in European tour or other things that they have to get their card and all that stuff. But I thought that was kind of great because I remember him, the father, I think the father told him he could have gone, coming out after he signed his card, they told him to go out to the right side, but he went, I think, through the to the left side so he could go through the championship thing in there, and he wanted to see that. So I thought that was kind of good. And also I was talking about Matt Kuchar, and I had it in my mind, uh, he did end up with an ace on, I want to say it's the 17th, but I don't know what it was. Look, the fact that I can't even remember what happened last weekend is pretty good. I mean, let's get serious. Anyway, I remembered that. I thought that was pretty good. And, you know, one of the things that I loved about him was that he was so young and so excited, like, I'm at the Masters kind of thing, you know? And now we're glad that he gets in and all of that. And it, it took me to the Masters and it took me, I think it was, was it 98? Is that when... Nick Faldo was playing sometime in the mid-90s. Now, first of all, I'm in love with Nick Faldo. Why? I don't know. But I love Nick Faldo. And, you know, I absolutely loved him and I hated Greg Norman. Just Greg Norman fell down. Remember he fell down the thing? Stop it, you people. Uh, you're drunk and you're coming down the steps and you fell down. But they would never let you tell. The PGA would never let you see. that, it, But it's true. But I didn't, I didn't like him at all. But one of the things is Nick Fowler was doing this tournament. He was winning this tournament. And there was a point there where Greg Norman, he looked like me. He must have had like a nine, you know. I get that and I go, okay, I'll just give it to the rest. I don't want to do another nine while I'm doing it. So, but he was there and I just loved Greg Norman was blown by the Greg Norman. I remember saying to him, and he said, "Oh, that's really sorry." And I thought to myself, "I don't think it's sorry. I think he's horrible." But he was very nice to him, and I didn't quite understand that. And one of the reasons that I like Nick Faldo is that he had a woman that was his caddy during that time. And then I started thinking about it, and I said, "I wonder if he's if she's boinking that guy, or better yet, if he's boinking her." And I thought to myself, well, I wonder, maybe you should have run through this ahead of time, Nancy, and found out whether or not he was still with the same people. Or remember, she was like, she was very young; she was like twenty-seven, and she was like as short as I am, and had that big club. And I'll tell you one thing: when I take my clubs out, I have to put them in the back, and I have to take them out one at a time. It's like, no, it's it's hard. But she was doing that for four for four rounds and doing that. But I wonder if he was boinking that girl. Maybe that, maybe I could make up a scenario that I don't know about, but I don't think I will. But I was always wondering if that stuff was going on. Oh, by the way, the tiger thing, I'm sorry that he got through the second round because ESPN is so effing in love with this guy and they're just trying and trying and trying and no one cares. You know, and when I see him and those guys stand up and they go and I go, shut up. You know, I mean, look at what he did. All because he wanted to bang some girl in a, in a parking lot at the Perkins restaurant. What is the matter with you people? You know, oh, I had this and I had that and all these people came out. Do you not think those people aren't going to tell everything? They're going to tell you everything. They're going to tell you everything. For God's sakes. Anyway, he got in there and ESPN uh, at least two rounds and maybe more were completely nuts for him. And you would see pictures of him. You know, I don't want to say anything, but I'm looking at like Jordan Spieth and those people right there. They were like five. They weren't even 10. They were like five years old. They don't care about what he did then. And yes, it was amazing. And we saw it, but it happened 20 years ago. So give it up. You know, he came in and he did well in Bay Hill or whatever it was. Yeah, I don't care. And I loved it when those people were clapping for him like they thought that was a really good thing. And I was like, you know, I don't know any women that are sitting there going like this. You know, I mean, he was a total and complete asshole. And he makes more money than God. We've already figured that out. But, you know, he destroyed his. His relationship. And we go back to I'm going to tell you something. I never did understand this. I have. I guess we can talk about it, but I have a separate phone call. I mean, I have my cell phone, but I have one that does not get out of my car. And I certainly don't bring it upstairs to talk about who I'm going to meet next while the girlfriend is looking over, or the wife is looking over. I don't know what's the matter with him. I mean, do you get to a point there where you think nothing will ever happen to you? Is that what happens? I never got to that point. There were a few times when I might have gone out there, but I don't think I ever got to that point. You know, you were who you were and you stayed there, I think. But, you know, I, I see Tiger Woods and I'm like, why do people even care about it anymore? I don't. care. You know what? In that that time, I think it was 1998, is when Mark O'Meara won the tournament. We were talking about 1988. When was it? 98, 1998. I'll try that again. We were talking about 1998 and O'Meara had won the tournament. and I had been talking about Kuchar. And he was so young in doing that. But Marco Mirror won the tournament and somehow they put him right on my show that next day on Monday. And one of the things I talked about was to be in the Masters, do all that kind of stuff. This is what you do for a living. But when you're 42 as opposed to being 29, what is the difference? And that was the thing that I thought was really interesting because he said, It is so much better. Mark O'Meara was saying to me, it's so much better now than when I was like 29 or 30. Because he got to the point where he was kind of beyond the point. You know, you're not running around in that 25 to 35 guys and you're 42 years old. And he just said it was so much better for him. I think he mentioned that he had some few cocktails. I'm not sure. I think I remember. that. But he was very, he was very good to talk to. And I liked him anyway. I, like, I liked him anyway. You know who else I loved? I, I loved Tom Watson. And one time I was doing a thing. I worked in the golf tour. Do you know that? He, he doesn't even know that. I worked in the PGA tour for about, I don't know, a year or so. And uh, that was the best job. You flew in on Thursdays. You worked Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They give you a big bunch of money and you went home. And I went, this is great. And <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I'm liking this. They give you a big bunch of money and you go home. I'm thinking that's fine. But I started to meet with Tom Watson and I started having a conversation with him and I had the microphone and I did all that. And we talked about, I guess he used to live right behind Augusta. So when they would go get off, people would be done for the day. Then he'd go out there at like seven o'clock, like around the seventh. And he'd shoot back and forth and do all that kind of stuff. And he used to play a couple of times when he wasn't really old enough to get into that when he was really young. Whenever I see him, I think about that. Because he was so honest about what he went through. You know, whereas people say, well, I've tour or whatever it was. But he was so honest about sneaking out and couldn't wait for them all that They would pick up everything and then he would run out there and he would play for a few before anybody would see him. And got didn't do this. And he must have been like, you know, 16. And it was kind of interesting when he talked about that. You know, I I had a, a couple of things. Yes, I did watch the Masters. Yes, I watched the Sox play the Rays, which was just horrendous. I was watching it and it was like three to two. And then I got bored. I think it was four to two. And so I went away and I looked the next day and it was like 11 million to one or something. was the, And I was like, well, the Rays kind of blew that one off, didn't they? I think so. But, you know, it made me think about I've always been a Sox fan. And I have to tell you, I have been a Sox fan forever. And, but I've always assumed that they just would not win in my life. They didn't win in my father's life or my mother's life, or even before that, I think, what was that, like 1908 or something like that, or 1918, whenever the, you know, and that's what a hundred years ago, but I never expected that. And all of a sudden they started doing really well. And they were really doing well, and they were playing the Yankees. And you know, one time I went to there was a I think it was a a playoff game. Oh, I remember. I don't remember what. Well, of course I don't remember the day. You look, I remember what happened last weekend. Um, but the Sox and the Yankees were playing like one game, and one of them would go home, and the rest of them would go to the into the playoffs. But there was people were there, and there was like a Red Sox. Sign that said the Yankees suck, and then there was a person with the Yankee sign that said the Red Sox suck, and then somebody from Kansas City had you both suck. I I just remember seeing that, and you couldn't help but see that. But I always loved the Red Sox, but I never thought it would be any different, and it got a whole lot different. And now they win all the time, and it's great, you know. And like the Patriots winning. I mean, I can't even think about that. And yeah, there's always going to be there. You know, I'll always feel that way. And I also wonder, like, we're talking about this, should we even go this direction? Are they really looking for a quarterback? Is that what they're looking for? We'll have to talk about the, can we do that? To, you know, let's do that next week. But let me just do that. I just thought the Yankees thing, and it made me think. I was working at ESPN, of course. And of course, I got to work every stinking day. And um, we, I'll never, Lenny Winder was the guy that was on the phone. He picks up the phone. He goes, hi, this is George. He said, hang on. He puts him on hold and he comes back to him like, you know, 20 minutes or something. And it's George Steinbrenner. And Lenny's going, first of all, let me give you the real number to call. Don't call the regular number. And he gets on the phone and I start talking to him. And he said, I have some kind of ear thing, so I can't go up in the plane to get back. So I'm listening here, and I start listening to you, and the next thing I know, he just felt like calling me. And it was the first time ever that he talked to me. And then he got to the point where I always called him because his birthday's 4th of July. And I, you know, and I knew him through Susan a lot. I've known Susan for a very long time. And, you know, he was he was so great, and he he told me, oh, you have to come to the playoffs and come to the playoffs, and I went there. I think they were playing the Mariners or something like that. And I went there, and he said, well, go upstairs in my office because he had his place down there, but he'd go upstairs. And so I went upstairs, and I was kind of, I don't even know if there was, like, a producer with me. I think, because usually a producer sort of handles the ring because I sort of go, hi, you know, and just do that stupid thing of, hi, it's me. Um, But I think I went by myself, and they went upstairs, and I went into this box that, And I got ready to go in there and Reggie Jackson was here and Spike was there and there were other people around, you know? And I just thought, I wondered, I just, you know, all these people were kind of stars and I was just there and I was like, thank you. And then they said, why don't you get something to eat? And I was so scared that I didn't want to, you know, I was the only one and I thought, Oh no, you, you know? And so I, I never got anything and they have like the biggest thing in the world that you can imagine. It's for any game if you're handling George Steinbrenner's box if you're into it. And he was he was very good to me and I was surprised because he took the time to do all of that but he had been really good and then I would call him and then I'd talk to him about things and then when I talked to Susan which I know Susan Wallman from the Yankees she said that She started when they, I guess it's when he, remember he was in bad trouble. He wasn't in jail, but he was in some kind of bad trouble. And he was, it ended like at 12 o'clock noon and uh, and Susan was standing there at 12 o'clock midnight. Do you know, I never get I don't want to say anything, but this is all part of my unfortunate medical incident. I have never said midnight or noon at 12 o'clock ever. Now, I don't think I had that trouble before, but I do believe that came from my unfortunate medical incident, which I didn't know what was going on. But anyway, um, he, was, he came out and he did that thing and she asked him everything. And I remember that really helped her and helped what she was doing in the middle of that. But I liked him and I would call him and he would come on with us all the time. I mean, if he wasn't busy, he'd come on and talk to us. And I was very fortunate to have that relationship with him. You know, I lived in horrible Bristol, Connecticut. I lived in Burlington, actually. And um, it was like two plus hours to go to New York and two and a half hours to go to to the Red Sox. And I had to be there. I mean, I didn't go on until 10, but some idiot wanted it at eight o'clock in the morning. So we had to have some because I have something to do. Well, couldn't you do it closer at nine? No. Anyway, just to annoy me, they would do things like that. George just, he would call us up and talk about things. I mean, he wouldn't call us all the time, but he would call us several times during the year. And I just remember going, I remember being too scared to go get something to eat. And I could have used some water at the time. But I remember Spike was sitting right there. And I remember Reggie Jackson was sitting there. And there were other people that I knew. But it was so great to be in that. It's so weird when you go in there because it is all of those things. If you don't, if you've never been to Yankee Stadium, it is all. those things, And you don't think about it. But when you're there, you feel it inside of you. And it's not like yay raw. And I, let me tell you something. I have always been a Red Sox fan. You know that. But I have to tell you, I lived in New York for a good portion of that time. I was forced to be in Bristol, Connecticut for three years. And then I threatened that I would blow the place up. So they let me go to New York, thank God. And because uh, I told him, I said I put plastic explosives in here and blow everybody up. It used to make them crazy, and they used to think I was serious. That was the weird thing. I think to myself, do they do they think I'm serious? And they thought that I was going to blow the place up. I think it was I think it was Berman one time. that said, "Well, you're going to be- blow the place up." And I thought, really, you're the one who said to the guy that was at the at the downstairs when you went in, and he said, "I'm sorry, who? What's your name?" And he and he turned around and said, "Do you know who I am?" And I was like, "Oh." Christ sakes, I just kept on going. But anyway, they thought I was serious with that, but I wasn't going to, but I loved being there and seeing, you could feel that, you could just feel all the people that were there. You could see everybody that you ever heard of there and you could just see the flags and you could see all of that. And one of the things that was really good is where I lived in New York, I had a terrace on both sides. I had a great place in New York, but I was 47 up something like that, and you could go to this left side. If you took the binoculars, you could actually see Yankee Stadium, and you could see it across because I was up so damn high and and I was right on Central Park on South, so you could see right across to it, and you could see the Yanks going on in there. I mean, you couldn't see all of that, but it was funny to see the the trains going by, you know, and you'd see those flags and everything. I liked being there when I was thinking about it. I think that would be all right. Did I do enough for you, Jerry? Do you think we did enough for you? I'm exhausted from all of this. It made me think about a lot of things. It made me think about baseball in general. I went to so many of those games. I was really fortunate to to see the things that I had done and to see the things in baseball. And for some reason, I guess it was because the winner, they used to always make me go to the NCAA championship. I mean, you went to the championship and they used to send us to like Indianapolis, which I, and then I'd have to come back. And then my plane was delayed. So the guys taking me to where I live, which is like two plus hours in Newark or from LaGuardia or something. And then you have to go up this big hill where I live. And the guy could not get up the hill. You know, I had to get somebody to take me up there. I was like. It was like four o'clock in the morning, I'm going like this. I was like, why in the world was I living in Connecticut? If you lived in Connecticut and you had two little kids, it would be great. But there's no other reason to live in Connecticut. And I think if you have little kids, I'm sure it's great. But for me, i would never been so damn bored in my life. You know, Mike Tarico used to live across the street from me. Am I going too long for this? Um, Mike Tarico used to live across the street from me. And the way it was is I was. I mean, we all were up there and then he was below me. And I used to have like, I don't know, a couple of acres or something. I don't know. You know, I went out the back door once. I never, I went out the back door and looked around and I never went out there again because everything went in the front. And he used to live across the street from me. And then sometimes he would come on the show once in a while and he would say, oh, I heard you last night because I was big into opera and I used to crank it all the way up. Because, I mean, the guy on the other side was over there and the guy on the other side, I've never seen anybody on that side. I mean, I guess somebody was there, but they weren't like, you know, they're not next to you. They're not really next to you while you're talking about that. But I remember him saying, oh, I heard the opera last night. I was like, yeah, okay, well, I crank it up. That's all there's going to do. Anyway, I was just thinking about that. I didn't like being there anyway. All right, I have to do things. Now we're going to do things. I'll tell you what. Next week, we're going to spend some time doing some serious well, some serious NFL draft. Because, you know, if I see one more time about this guy from USC and the guy from UCLA, I hate to say anything, but I'm not interested in either one of them. And I don't think anybody from UCLA or USC is going to be any good anymore. And for some reason, I like Josh Allen, and I don't even know who he is. I mean, I kind of know who he is. But I thought, It'll be interesting to see that. So we'll find out a lot about the draft because, you know, the draft comes and then I sit here for two days and I watch it. And then i want to kill myself after they want to, you know, when they go into the fourth and the fifth round, does anybody remember when it was to be, am I just talking a bit much? Uh, But, you know, I'll tell you more stories than you can ever imagine. I was in Seattle and um, Seattle is a very nice, kind place. They were in no mood ready for me. Let me just tell you that. And, you know, if we sat down at your table and somebody said, oh, I was, well, you would get up. You wouldn't, you wouldn't say, get another table. You'd say, oh my God, I'm sorry. I'd get up and somebody would be, you know, they would sit there and you'd wait. I mean, it's really bizarre there. And I just, you know, I think about, I once said to, I guess it was Tom Flores when he was there for not very long. I said, I want to make the last draft choice. And they looked at me and said, what? I said, I want to make the last draft choice. Well, you could, A, kind, nice, and all that kind of shit. And you're going to have some asshole that you never heard of until like a year before that's going, I want to make the last draft choice. And at the time, they had 12. Do you remember when they had 16? I remember when they had 14 and they had 12. And I wanted this guy, and damned if I can remember him, he was a guy and he played offensive line, and then they moved him to the defensive line a couple of years later. But he, he, he was the twelfth round draft choice. I wish I could remember his name. Maybe I'll go look it up, but I can't be be bothered doing that. But you know, I it was it was kind of great because I got this guy, and they said we need an offensive lineman, and I got him an offensive lineman, and eventually they moved him to. Um, I guess after a couple of years, he was you know he probably went to three or four teams or something. But he, he was there for eight years. I thought that was pretty damn good. You know, eight years? I think so. But I thought I did a good job. And I just remember they said, you want to what? I want to take the last draft choice. And they're like, what? I want to make the final draft choice, the 12th one. And they're like so stunned. They're like, what? And I was like, I want to make the last draft choice. And everybody, and you know, the people are like, Nobody can say anything because they're all having a breakdown. Did I do that? I don't know. It must have been 91, 92, 93, one, two, something like that. But I think, I don't think it was Icarus. Maybe it was John McNeil. But it was some guy that did well. And I had to laugh because he did it for so long. And they were just so shocked that I would do that. I said, of course I was. I was being the babe. You know, of course the babe, of course I want to make it. (laughs) Oh God. And these people were so stunned. They didn't know what to do. So of course they let me make it. I'll never forget that. They would let me do whatever I wanted to do. All right. I have things to do. All right. We got, what do I have to do? Do I have anything? Oh, I have something to do today. I actually have something to do today. Um, Anyway, I'm going to see if my brain is the same. I go twice a year to see my brain and we go and we look at my brain. And she said, well, you know, at first when, and I'm talking about my unfortunate medical incident and I go up and then you're straight for, you know, you go straight like this, you go up for a while and then you're good. And then you go up and then the rest of the time, that's where you stay. And I said, well, when does that other person go? And they said, that was like four years ago. I said, well, okay, I guess whatever I have is what I have. Cause it's not getting any better than that. But I go there and she wants to know if I'm doing this or that. I think she just wants to say hi to me, don't you think? I think maybe she just wants to be hi. But I'm very lucky. Well, no, let me do that again. It's not, the word wasn't hi. What was the word I was looking for there? Maybe she just wants to see where I am. Maybe that's what happens. Maybe I just go there and they just want to make sure that I don't fall off the deep end like I did the last time. Or I went there and she looked at me and, and my friend Michael was staying with me. And he, he, he took me over there because I was just looking around. I was looking around. And then I went, to, or I went into their room and then I was like, I didn't have anything to say. All I could do was do my shoulders up to my ears. That was my answer for everything. I couldn't say anything. And Michael came in and he said, okay, we're going to put her in the hospital, but you have to take her home for a little while. And little did I know I'd be there for a million trillion years. All right, I, I've got to do this right now. I have draft, draft, more stuff to talk about. We'll be talking about it. And you can always, by the way, could you do something for me? Could you put a few people on Twitter there? I I appreciate everybody that's been there, but could you crank me up somewhere to like getting to 1,800? I mean, I would love to be at 2,000 if you'd like to. Nobody pays any attention. But if you want to, that's okay. All right, I have to do this. You know, you can hear me on Radio Influence. You can hear me on iTunes. You can hear me on something called Stitcher. And there's some other damn thing I heard of. Okay. I'm doing all of those things. It's me. I'm the fabulous sports babe because I told you I was the fabulous sports babe. If you know the babe at all, you'll know the show never ends. Follow her on Twitter at Real Sports Babe and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. This has been the Fabulous Sports Babe on Radio Influence. is an in the trenches with Ian Beckles quick fix on radio influence. I want to get your assessment of Gerald McCoy as a football player. I think Gerald McCoy is an outstanding football player. I think he's an elite player. I think he's a guy that plays hard. I think he's um, I think the play around him needs to get better. I think that he does a good job fighting through teams when, when he sees a lot of that, uh, I think his, his use of hands is outstanding. I think he plays with good leverage, and I think he finishes well. I I, I have graded him very, very highly uh, the past couple of years in my pro personnel work. I, I think he's still one of the better defensive tackles in the league. And that's saying a lot because there are a lot of good, high-graded defensive tackles. Aaron Donald, Fletcher Cox, Geno Atkins, Kawhan Short. Seuss played well, although he freelances. Buckner's starting to play well against the run. Snacks Harrison is great. Gerald McCoy is in that group, in my opinion. In the Trenches with Ian Beckles can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play and RadioInfluence.com.